0: We're going to talk about atonement today. We're resuming our series on salvation. Last week we had a one-week break to talk about moms. Uh, we are in the middle of a series about the mechanics and the function and the purpose and the power of salvation. How does God accomplish salvation in Scripture? What has He done for us? And today we're only asking one question. How does the death of Jesus save us? That's the question that we're focused on. We've talked about uh, uh grace and we've talked about his wrath and we've talked about righteousness. And we've talked about all sorts of different things. Last week we talked about uh well, it wasn't last week, 2 weeks ago, we looked at the word propitiation. That word that is really only ever used in a religious sense, I think modern in modern times to appease or to atone. And it is very closely related to this idea of atonement, propitiation and atonement go together. It is the word that is most often used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, for atonement. Now, in, in our Bibles, the Old Testament word is translated atonement. The Day of Atonement and the Sacrifice of Atonement and all those different things. Of course, in the Greek, they use the word that we typically translate propitiation. These are, are connected The death of Jesus atones for, or makes propitiation for, our sins. This is the core of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus' death saves you. But the question is how? How does his death atone or appease or take the place of us in our sin? So we're going to look today briefly at three ways. And you might think, why does this... If we talked about propitiation, why are we talking about atonement? It is one thing to know that the death of Jesus appeases God. It is another to know how. How does it do that? This is a little bit more of a a mechanical or a methodological. How is this satisfying the wrath of God? What does it do? How is God's saving power manifested in the atonement of Jesus. And the first idea, of course, the traditional sort of normal sense of atonement is this idea of substitutional justice. All the way back in the Old Testament, this was the idea of atonement, that when uh, something was atoned for, there was a substitution or a replacement. Leviticus 16, 15 through 16, uh, talking, of course, about the, the day of atonement, the sacrifices. He, the priest, shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat. We looked at this briefly last week, right? The mercy seat, again, that idea in the New Testament connected to the idea of propitiation, the place of propitiation. And in front of the mercy seat, thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people and because of their transgressions, all their sins. Thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells in them in the midst of their uncleanness. Here he's talking about, of course, uh, making atonement for the holy place. The holy place, the uncleanness of the people. And of course, we we can go through uh, dozens of places in the Old Testament with this idea that the animal sacrifices took the place of the people. The people should have been dying, right? You sinned, you should be dying, but instead we're going to kill this animal. The bull or the goat or the cow or the whatever that was in there based on how God had ordained it. But the author of Hebrews, of course, makes it clear that this was not sufficient in the long run. The inadequacy of these sacrifices, blood of bulls and goats, that ultimately did not atone. There was a sense of atonement, a temporary nature of atonement, the substitution, but it was not fully atoned. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly. Oh, man. If you were a priest in Israel, how many animals did you kill? Every year, the Day of Atonement, and every day you're doing other stuff. There's sacrifices for the the grain offering and and all these different things that are going on and repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. In essence, can never truly atone. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, thinking about in future. For by a single offering is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We'll talk about sanctified. Maybe we've, t- we've talked about it a little bit, this idea of being made holy. Those who are being made holy. The death of Jesus was a substitute for us. Sin demands death because of God's righteousness and his holiness and his justice. There must be a debt paid. So instead of me, it's Jesus. In the Old Testament, this idea of the animal sacrifices were really just delaying the inevitable until Jesus could come and for all time make perfect those who are being sanctified. What was the death of J, Je- what made the death of Jesus able to do what the blood of animals cannot? Ultimately, there are two things about Jesus, two attributes that make him a worthy atoning substitute, a worthy atoning sacrifice. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Then through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Second Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Two things that make Jesus worthy of being the atoning sacrifice. How can he take our place? Number one, he is God. Number two, he is perfect. When we think about the Old Testament, what made that insufficient? As an atoning sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats, hundreds and thousands, and potentially over the the lifetime of Israel, millions of animals, all insufficient to take away sin because it was fundamentally something that is inferior being substituted for something that was superior. In this case, in the Old Testament, the human is the superior being, right? The human is the thing that's made in the image of God. The human is the one who is better than the animal. So if we're thinking about justice, substitutional justice, an animal is not a suitable replacement for a human. But we've swung the other way now. Because I could not die for your sins. Because I am sinful. Sinful. I've got my own sin to pay for. I can't pay for yours. What we see is not the inferior substituted for the superior, but the exact opposite. Something superior substituted for the inferior thing. God in the flesh, perfect and sinless. Not just like for like, but better for worse. Because we are the worst, right? We are the inferior thing. He is deity that he would die for me. He is perfect that he would die for me. That is what gives his death this power of substitutional justice. Why it is just that I do not take the consequence of my sin is because someone better already has. And so we see the second way that the power of atonement is seen in the sacrifice of Jesus In his defeating of death. Because we think about the power of death as the fate awaiting all sinners, right? The consequence, the justice that is demanded by my sin is death. For the wages of sin, that is the thing that is deserved, is death. So when one who does not deserve it takes that punishment, takes that thing, death, then that power is destroyed for all the others who deserve it. I do not have to fear death because he has already destroyed that power by taking that consequence. First Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? This sort of mocking thing, right? Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin because... The justice for sin is death. The power of sin is the law because that is the thing that I break, right? Law in the sense maybe of the Old Testament, but law in a more general sense of his righteous standard, whatever that happens to be in our day and age. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If you can't say amen to that, you can't say amen to anything. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. This is not just an abstract thing. That's right. Amen. You got it, dude. This is not abstract. This is personal. We, we, the, the, the problem with studying this in a technical sense, how does atonement work, is if we go too much in the technicality of it, we lose that this is a deeply personal thing. This is... A killing blow in a battle, in a war, right? This is something that is not just sort of technical and and high-minded concept. Since therefore, Hebrews 2.14, the children share in flesh, that's us. He himself took in the same things, that is, he became human, that through death he might destroy not just this abstract concept of the power of death, but destroy the one, the being who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. By atonement, Jesus doesn't just remove some abstract thing. He defeats an actual foe, that is the devil. This defeat is not just found in the substitution of punishment, that is, I don't have to fear death because he died for me, but there is another substitution. As we think about not just a deserved consequence being taken by someone else, Removing the fear that I would have of that deserved consequence. But there is something deeper, something else that's being replaced as we think about our motivation and our purpose in being. The last substitution that is made in atonement is a substitution of who I am. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus shows us a better way to live. How could the death of a goat do that? The death of some animal Did not know what it was dying for, that bull, that goat. They didn't know what was going on. Jesus did know. The goat and the bull did not choose to die. But Jesus did. It was intentional, it was purposeful, it was motivated. And in that motivation, we see what should be our. New motivation. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In removing the fear of death as being our core motivation. That was our core motivation. The fear of death. That manifests in all sorts of ways in life that I got to enjoy life as much as I can right now cuz death is coming that we try to avoid death as much as we can and we we live in fear we don't want to be too risky take too many risks right we want to live for ourselves because this is all I've got in removing that fear of death he substitutes a new reason for being which is what the love of god it used to be that I was afraid of dying i don't have to fear that anymore Now, I am going to die. It's going to happen. I guess in some sense, I still am a little bit afraid of the actual thing, like the process, like what's it going to feel like when I die. But I'm not afraid of ceasing to be. I'm not afraid of that I'll be missing out. I'm not afraid that my experience will come to an end. And I'm not afraid of what comes next. I know what comes next. And so what is the result of that? Titus two eleven through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. We talked about grace several weeks ago. What is that? Grace is the offer. The offer of salvation is the manifestation of God's grace. Not the mechanics by which we are saved. But the offer itself is the grace of God appearing and bringing salvation for all people, training us to uh, training us, and we see the practicality of this, right? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the thing that will be eventually, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. there's some purpose here to redeem us from lawlessness, and purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Atonement is, in the biblical fundamental sense, a substitution. One taking the punishment due another. But this is not just a substitution in judgment. This is a substitution of now. That what I once was is replaced and substituted for who I now am. A wholly transformed individual. Who is what? Not living for myself, but living for God. Not living for worldly passions, but for godly passions. Not living in lawlessness, but zealous for good. That is the power of atonement. That he has enabled you to be better. He has enabled you to be righteous. Originally, the power of atonement, an animal dying in place of people, we can see how that's in, that's just not good enough. Right? The death of animals does not take away the fear of death. The death of animals does not take away sin. The death of animals does not transform. It just is insufficient. So what had to happen? The creator dying in place of the created. That is the atoning sacrifice. Appeasing God's wrath, the consequence of sin is death, and that has been fulfilled, satisfied, appeased. Death has occurred as a result of sin. The difference, of course, is what? The one who sinned did not die. You deserve death. Not physical death but eternal spiritual death. And so the mercy of God appears in atonement in the substituting love for fear. My motivation now is not fear of death. My motivation is love of God who did that for me. I, I like what the verse that Pat quoted. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I still live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the flesh, still in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we substitute not just love for fear, but lawlessness with zeal for doing good, with confidence in place of doubt. What does the Hebrew writer say? Let us therefore confidently approach the throne of grace that we may find grace to help and mercy in time of need. I paraphrase that. I think I misphrased some of that. You get the idea. There is only one appropriate response to atonement. Revelation 5. This is the last verse we'll read. I'm picking and choosing. I'm scrolling around in Revelation 5. I would encourage you to read the whole thing at some point this week. But as we read the overall idea of Revelation 5, between the throne and the... Fo- no, you know what? I have time. I'm going to read the whole thing. This is what happens when I get ahead of schedule. Because it's important for us to understand this idea. Revelation 5, verse 1 Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll within it, and on the back sealed with seven seals. I saw an almighty angel proclaim with a loud voice Who's worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? What does that mean? Who can tell us what God wants? What is God's judgment? No one in heaven or earth was able to un- open it or look into it, and I began to weep loudly because no one was worthy to open the scroll. And the elder said to me, "Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the four living, uh, the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain." as though, and with seven horns, with the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each with a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. Worthy are you to pronounce God's judgment. That's what's being said here. Why are you worthy? Why is the Lamb worthy? Because you were slain. By your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation you have made a kingdom for them. uh, Made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard and around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the Lamb who is slain. What is Jesus worth? because of his atoning sacrifice, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing and glory. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, everything that exists, saying what? To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be glory and blessing and honor and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. 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 What does that word mean, amen? Truly, let it be so. Truly you have said it. When we think about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the only appropriate response is worship. Why we come every week. Why we do this so much. Because he deserves it for dying for me. He deserves all the praise and glory that I can give him. And as we conclude, we offer a simple invitation. The death has already been made. The substitution has been offered for you. If you will accept his rule, if you will fall down and worship at his feet, if you will accept his will in your life, confess his lordship, turn from your old life, because why? No longer do you live, he lives in you. To be immersed and united with him in the waters of immersion, you can be confident in the day of judgment. No longer afraid of death, but living for the love of God. Come while we stand it. In-